Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Mom on the Verge podcast, where I aim to help you improve your sense of joy, purpose, and meaning in this life. We will talk about a lot of different ways we can do this, but ultimately, we'll be working toward finding our way back home to ourselves and remembering that even in the most challenging times, peace is only a breath away. I am your host, Katie Farinas, a mom, nurse, and yogi on a mission to improve mental health and build community in our world. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. In this episode, I speak with two other moms, Heather Stapleton and Liz Mundrick, about postpartum depression, anxiety, and OCD. Um, Both of my guests, as well as myself, have experienced this, and I will say that it was the first time we ever had more than one guest on the show at the same time, Um, so I wasn't sure how it was going to work out, but I think it went pretty well, Um, but the three of us really each talk about our experience of pregnancy and the postpartum period, and then our just general experience of motherhood all the way up through the teen years. Heather and I have older children and Liz, um, her kids are still on the younger side. And we talk about all the difficult emotions that come with being a mother. Um, And what I realized is that those emotions really stay the same throughout the process. Uh, Things look a lot different on the outside from when you have a newborn baby or a toddler to when you have a teenager, but your internal experience is very much the same and your need for um, other moms to help walk you through the journey is still the same. Your um, sense of wanting to get it right, right, and be a good mom is the same. Uh, The fact that you have really zero control as much as you desperately want it is still the same. Uh, The cultural expectations that we find ourselves smacking up against are are still there whether your child is a newborn and you are trying to decide whether you should breastfeed or bottle feed or if you should go back to work or stay at home or you have um, a middle schooler who is struggling with their mental health or how do we put guardrails around social media or phone use right there's there's so many questions that come along and we are constantly being judged by the outside world for the choices that we make. So these things don't change over that motherhood journey. Um, And it was something that I'd never really thought about. And this conversation, conversation really did give me that perspective. It also reminded me that this can be a really isolating experience, motherhood. And we shared so many laughs through the course of this conversation and they were mostly laughs because we we recognized so deeply the other person's experience as also being our experience um there's a knowing there there's just that i get you i get what you're saying i totally understand i've been there too and how important it is to have other moms in our lives that give us support, they give us perspective, um, and they ultimately make us better moms and more joyful moms and make the experience something something better than it would be without having other moms in your life. So it was an awesome conversation. 
I think you're really going to like it. I think no matter what stage of parenthood you're in, you're going to feel like you're, you are understood. Like we got you. Um, because it's, it's such a common thread throughout motherhood. Um, and I think motherhood is one of the most spiritual experiences that any human being can have. I know personally that my children have taught me so much and a lot of those lessons have been really hard, but so very worth it. Um, they've cracked me open and made me a better person and I couldn't ask for more than that even though some of it was some of it was quite painful but but we made it through and and we got to the other side with such a deeper understanding of what's really important in this life so i hope you enjoy it i want to remind you that if you haven't yet signed up for the newsletter that that is always available to you it recaps the the show the main points of the show um, as well as gives you a mindfulness exercise or a spiritual practice to try for the week Um, also you can download my free guide nourishing your soul spiritual practices for busy moms Um, this is a really great guide it is so simple especially if you're new to the mindfulness um world i guess i would call it um and it it's really geared towards moms who don't have a ton of time in their life to like sit down and spend 20 minutes meditating but they are looking for more peace and they're looking for more ease in their life they're looking to feel less anxious more grounded and connected to themselves and to their family um and we can do that by inserting just what i call micro moments of stillness into your day because that grounding and connection and peace um, comes comes in stillness. It comes in moments of just being still with ourselves. And it's really hard to be still with yourself in this day and age. We are constantly running from our jobs to our responsibilities with our home to our children, uh, friends, family. It just never ends. It never ends the responsibilities that are on our plate. And so I think a lot of parents, mothers, parents find themselves opening their eyes in the morning and immediately going at 120% and not stopping until they fall into bed at night um, and pass out either scrolling their phone or watching TV. So I fully understand the the amount of responsibility that's on your plate and the time constraints that are a reality in your life. And I promise you that this guide is for people like you. It is it is finding ways to insert these moments of stillness and reflection into things that you are already doing in your life, that you're, you're dropping off your kids or picking up your kids, you're sitting at a red light, um, you're taking 30 seconds before you get out of bed, um, you're washing your dishes or doing any other chore. These exercises can be done during each of these types of things that I'm, I'm talking about. So I encourage you to give it a, a, a look. Um, if you want to download it, you can go to the link tree link that it's at the bottom of the show notes. Um, you can also find that same link tree link in my bio of both my, my Instagram bio and my Facebook bio, or you can email me and I'll send it to you at mom on the verge podcast at gmail.com.
All right, guys, I look forward as always to hearing what you thought about the show. Please reach out, let me know, and also let me know what other topics you want to hear about. I'm all ears. I hope you have a wonderful week. Um, It is my son's birthday today. Actually, he turned 10 today and um, my anniversary, my 19th anniversary is in a few days and my husband and I are going away. So I'm going to be a little absent from social media for the next um, several days. So hopefully I can get um, some promotions out for this episode. But if you like it, please share it with someone that you care about, pass it along. Um, If you could rate the show and review it, that really helps with our downloads. It helps getting the show out there to more and more people. It makes it visible to more people. So if you could do that for me, I'd really appreciate it. And I hope you have a wonderful weekend and I will be in touch very soon. I love you all. Bye. All right. Hi, Heather and Liz. Thank you for being on the show today. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Yes. I'm so glad you both agreed to have this conversation. Um, I was telling you guys before we got on and I'll just let the listeners know we've never done a show with more than one guest. So this is a little bit of a trial, see how this goes. Um, But we're going to do our best and um, just make it work for you guys. So today's episode is, um, originally I wanted to talk just about postpartum and and postpartum depression, OCD and anxiety. Um, But I I hope to maybe expand the conversation also to motherhood in general and kind of the journey of motherhood and um, our experiences with that. Um, Heather and I are in a fairly similar stage of motherhood. Heather, your kids are what age? 11 and 16, 11 and 16. And I have a almost 10 year old and my daughter turned 15 yesterday. So we're, you know, pretty similar, um, in age. And also our children are pretty similar in age. Liz, I think you, your kids are somewhat younger, correct? Correct. Yeah. My oldest is 10. My middle, it just turned seven. And then I have the straggler who's three. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you've got a wide range there, which is perfect. Perfect for our yeah. listeners. Um, so I guess we'll start by if each of you wants to give your experience with becoming a mom, the transition to motherhood, when you experience postpartum depression, or Liz, I think you said you had anxiety and OCD postpartum, um, and just kind of give the listeners, um, your story, you know, what, what it was like, um, your, like feelings about it when it was happening versus now looking back on it. Um, and just, you know, the best we can give listeners an idea of what that whole experience was like for you. So it's more recent for you. Why don't you go first? You want to start Liz? Uh, Um, yeah, I mean that I can certainly start and sort of prompt me along the way, but, um, okay. At baseline, it's like not a far jump for me to have like postpartum anxiety and OCD. (laughs) Like that has been like brimming below the surface, like probably my entire life, but it was like reasonably managed just, you know, with like intermittent therapy, intermittent meds, sort of just like lifestyle stuff with my first, like in all honesty, like I was unprepared to be a mother. Like I got pregnant accidentally on my honeymoon um we had been talking about it it wasn't like a big leap but it was in my heart like too soon and so I was always so excited about it and I just like never felt that excitement for the entire pregnancy 
then we had her and she was healthy and I was healthy and that was great. And then she, you know, became a colicky baby. And my husband was working, he's a a police officer in Philadelphia. He was working like that shift where like he would leave at the house at three and come home at like one, which was just like the worst time, like for for my daughter at least, where Mm -hmm. I just remember like walking around the house, just her crying, her screaming, so claustrophobic. It just felt like I couldn't escape or go anywhere. Um, And I I never really like identified my feelings as feeling like sad or depressed. I just remember feeling so trapped and anxious and she wasn't a good eater. She wouldn't eat. I could, I would only be able to feed her like an ounce of a bottle at a time. So like my entire day seemed to be filled with like this feeding cycle Mm -hmm. where like she would eat a little bit and then she would eat a little bit and she'd eat a little bit. And that kind of prompted a lot of my um, anxiety and OCD. And so I kept really like kind of going back to like, okay, how many ounces did she have? Oh, she threw up a little bit. Like what happened then? And I felt like my entire life and my entire world was sort of like wrapped up in, in like trying to sustain and feed her. And I, at that point, didn't have a huge connection either. Mm -hmm. I felt Mm -hmm. like very like alone. I felt just by myself, even though I had support, it just didn't feel that way. And I just remember one time, like when she was about six weeks, like laying in bed and like listening to her scream and just be like, "Ah, I made a mistake. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. what am I going to do? You know, that kind of feeling of just feeling so trapped into it. Um, So a little bit about me is like, I am a women's health nurse practitioner. And so like, I've worked in the OB field for like longer than I'd like to admit now, sort of as, <laughs> as an MP, like 15 years, but probably a little bit closer to 20, almost 20, like just in the field. And so sort of going into my pregnancy and going into postpartum, like in my head, I was like, I know the, I know, I, I know what, what this is. Like, I know what to look for. I know what to expect, like, which was absolutely ridiculous. Like, and certainly postpartum, I could not see into myself whatsoever. I had absolutely no insight. And I remember my mom and my husband would sort of be like, try to sort of like broach the subject of like my anxiety and sort of my like obsessiveness with her eating and I was like, no, I'm just, I, I'm just trying to do my job. I'm trying to be a good mother. Like it mm-hmm. was very much like, this is what I have to do. And I, I had absolutely no insight whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. You don't understand, right? You don't understand as a, you know, as they're trying to approach you with these. Yeah, investing. exactly. Yeah, yeah. You, you could, you absolutely. Yeah. I couldn't even accept their, I, like, they were, at that point, I could not even like accept their help. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I do. And when you were just going all the way back to, um, this becoming pregnant and not being prepared for that and not feeling a connection, yeah, were you feeling, what were you feeling about that in regards to what you thought you should be feeling versus what you were actually feeling? 
I think I like, I like, I, I don't think I felt guilty. Like, I think like probably a lot of people felt guilty. <laughs> like, I just didn't. I think I sort of just approached it very like objectively and pragmatically where I was like, okay, so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to eat well. I'm going to follow the rules. I'm going to like basically be a good mother in the sense of like, I'm going to follow the rules and be healthy and she will be healthy. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm, if I can't mm -hmm. forge that emotional connection right now, I'm going to forge like the physical one. And mm -hmm. so then she came out and then she physically like was healthy, but also a disaster. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like just mm -hmm. crying and yeah. feeding. And then my world was just like, like, yeah. <laughs> I'm done. Yeah. 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 And I how, know how to regain. How long did it take you to get back on your feet? Um, well, I think it took me probably a full year. I, you know, went back to work at the 12 week mark and I was working, supposed to be doing like five days in the office. I went down to part time, which sort of alleviated things. Um, so I would be three days in the office and, um, that was helpful. And then as she got bigger and it got easier, but I would say like probably the, the full journey to like when I felt kind of like myself again was probably closer to a year. And did you need to seek some form of intervention to get back there or is it just time and experience? Oh, I absolutely needed to seek help, but I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and like I said, like, I just didn't have insight. Like I, okay. the further away I got from it, the more I recognized where I was like, oh, is like, you know, you could have like, there was a much more insight the further away I got from. It. Yeah. So with her, I did not. Um, with my son who came three years later, I actually was fine. And I prophylactically started Zoloft like mm -hmm. right when he delivered. Um, and it was great. It was like, for me, absolutely like sort of what I needed to do in the moment. And I felt really good about it. Um, I like discontinued it after a couple months and sort of like everything sort of like rolled along. And with my last child, um, I had her right before the pan, like the pandemic started. So I had her at the mm -hmm. end of February and I was like a disaster, like in this pregnancy, I don't know, I was like so anxious, so nervous. Um, and I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that simultaneously while I was pregnant with her, we also were trying to deal with some developmental things with my son mm -hmm. and sort of like questioning, like, is he, is he on this like autism, autism spectrum? Is he not, what do we need to do where there was a lot of interventions going on? And I think in my head, I kept going, well, what if this baby needs stuff too? Am I going to be able to actually like have the capacity to, to do all of this like and it mm -hmm. scared me a lot yeah. and so again with her I didn't feel like a ton of connection I felt like worry 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 um I refused to go on Zoloft because I was worried it would affect her somehow even though like like as a practitioner like I would never advise that to a patient you know what I mean <laughs> but for myself like I just was too like again caught in that moment mm -hmm. of panic um and then we had her and I felt like so good. And then like the world shut down mm -hmm. and that, and then, I mean, I'm, we all like, <laughs> that was a mess for everybody, right? We all like, lost how, our minds. Right. <laughs> like how terrible was that? 
So then I, you know, I actually, I was like much more proactive. I like sought counseling. I restarted meds and that, and I was able to sort of like at this point now with my third, like kind of like be like, okay, we're going to be more proactive about what's mm-hmm. happening. But, mm-hmm. Yeah. That's my story. <laughs> All right. I want to come back and draw out some stuff, but I want Heather to tell her story as well. And I'll give you guys my story as well. And then I'd like to kind of like, I think there's probably a lot of through lines through each of our stories. So I'd like to draw those out. So Heather, why don't you tell us your story? Yeah. So, um, my husband and I had been married like a little bit more than a year. Um, we deliberately decided we would start trying and month one (laughs) (laughs) I was pregnant and also a little bit like, okay. Oh, okay. (laughs) We're doing this now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, but you know, we, we were very excited. Um, we were also in the process of buying a house <laughs> of course, and, and moving mm-hmm. from center city, Philadelphia to the suburbs in South Jersey. Um, and certainly as I reflect back, there is a lot of like a lot of big change all at once. Um, and was super easy pregnancy. Oh my gosh. Like I could have had 10 more pregnancies like that. Um, and then he was born (laughs) and he was very high need. I think it's kind of like the term they use now. Um, I I had a C-section and I have heard that for some women, that is like a a risk factor. Um, that was not my experience. Um, you know, I didn't have any particular like birth plan in mind, you know, what that was like kind of a thing back when we were pregnant the first time at least. And, and like, oh, you sit down Still with your doctor thing. and you write out this whole thing. And I was just <laughs> kind of like, I, I would like to have a baby and us both be healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Great. <laughs> we love um, that. <laughs> and so for me, like the C-section only, I think in the sense that I couldn't get out physically. I, you know, those mm-hmm. first eight, 10 weeks, mm-hmm. like I was really physically limited in what I could do. Um, cause I couldn't drive. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that that given the fact that my son was, you know, pretty sensitive to everything, motion, noise, you know, you like everything, you know, I, I don't know that we would have been going out a whole lot anyway. Um, And also because he was our first and, you know, it was like, he was born September 5th. So, you know, by the time I was ready to go out, it was November, December and weather was not good and all that stuff. And I knew nobody in our new neighborhood. Um, We had this giant house Mm -hmm. and it was two adults and this little baby. And my husband was commuting to Philadelphia for work every day. He was working at a law firm where he was trying to make partner and, so there was a lot of time where it was just me and Noah and it was this weird feeling of like, we were together all the time. And yet I was yeah. super lonely. And like, that was a weird sort of paradox where like, I was never alone and I always felt lonely. Mm-hmm. And it, that was kind of like messing with me. And 
yeah, I mean, he just, I know we knew about me since I was a child. I need a lot of sleep and I need quality sleep and I need it predictably and I need it, Mm -hmm. you know, all the time. (laughs) (laughs) My son was a terrible sleeper and, you know, and then, you know, you want to do your best and, and you read all the books and everyone's like, oh, sleep when the baby sleeps. And I'm like, my baby sleeps 20 minutes at a time during the day. So this whole like sleep when the baby sleeps, by the time I get him down and like lay down on the couch and try to fall asleep, I'm already like, he's going to be up in five minutes. I know it. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that's where sort of the anxiety came in was he Mm. was very unpredictable. And my attempts to impose structure (laughs) were only of limited success. Um, And yeah, I mean, I I think a huge part of it for me was, was the sleep deprivation and, um, so, and then to your question before Katie about like, what did I do about it? How, how, how does this story end? Well, I think it was probably about four or five months. I was, I, I was super blessed to have six months paid leave from my job and at about four months, I'm like, my baby's starting to get a little bit better with the sleeping and, and, you know, he can sort of like interact a little bit more. And so he's getting better and I seem to be getting worse. That was kind mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. when I, a little light bulb went off, like maybe something yeah. not right here. Uh, and so I, you know, I was crying a lot. Um, and at the time, I think I probably would have labeled that depression. Um, in hindsight, I crying is like how I deal with any sort of like stress. Um, and so I think for me, it was more anxiety than it was depression. Although the loneliness was, you know, I think probably depression. Um, my husband took me to the doctor's office. He sat with my OBGYN. Um, he sat with the baby in the waiting room and I went in and, you know, they ask, well, why are you there? And I, I say, you know, I think I have postpartum depression immediately start crying. <laughs> <laughs> and my female doctor asks me a few questions. Um, I don't remember a lot of the specifics. I do remember her asking me, like, did I ever can, like, did I ever think about hurting myself? And I remember saying, no, but there are days where I wish that I would get really sick and wouldn't be able to take care of the baby and someone else would have to do it for me. Mm -hmm. That was kind of like where I was, Um, like literally wishing for incapacitation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, and then, you know, my, my sweet supportive doctor then says to me, I had postpartum depression with all three of my children. Mm. You are going to get through this. Mm. We're going to figure out something that works. Hang in there. And, you know, so that I started back then it was Wellbutrin. Mm-hmm. Um, I had horrible side effects from that. I didn't sleep for three days straight. Oh, <laughs> so that was just another nice little like 
Yeah, fun. You, know, you think you're going to get better and, and you're on the right track and then life throws you another curveball. So mm-hmm. we, we spent a little bit of time adjusting my meds, um, found something that worked. I did do some um, therapy for a while, um, which did help a little bit. Um, but for me, it was really, I, I think the biggest part was the sleep. Like mm-hmm. once he was sleeping enough that I was getting enough sleep, then I was starting to feel like a normal person again. Mm-hmm. And after a few months of medication, did you also like, do you feel like the medication helped as well? Oh yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I think I stayed on the medication until he was probably two, okay. um, and I think part of that was just that I was feeling better and I was scared. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was like, I don't know if this is like, because circumstances have changed or is it the medication? Of course, the answer right. is it was both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it was a low dose and, you know, I was checking in with my doctor. I was having the conversations um, obviously lots and lots of people for lots of different reasons are on anti- antidepressants. And so I felt like it was a safe choice. Mm-hmm. Um, we weren't looking to get pregnant again that quickly. So we were just going to stay the course for a while. Yeah. And then with your second, did you have the same experience or did you do something proactively? Like how did that work out? Yeah. Um, you know, I, it was so different in so many ways, you know, at this point we had got to know our neighbors. It was five years later. Mm -hmm. Um, I did feel like I had a lot more supports and connections, um, just socially, uh, also, you know, it's so weird. Like I, I had a horrible pregnancy with my second one. I had hyperemesis gravidome. I was, oh, you terrible. know, they had me on the Zofran. Like I couldn't eat. I, yeah. You know. mm-hmm. So when he was born, I was like, I'm just glad to not be pregnant anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, and he, what he was, he was an easier baby, but I was starting to have glimmers of things that had happened in the past. And I, and I had another kid (laughs) at this point, I'm like, Mm -hmm. I do Mm -hmm. not have time for this. And Mm -hmm. I don't want to wait around to see how bad this is going to get. Um, I'd like to just go back on the medication. And if we catch it early, maybe I don't also have have to do therapy because I, you know, first time around, I kind of figured out like what was going on for me and what was really important, like non-negotiables for me, like Mm -hmm. prioritizing sleep and, you know, taking care of myself and, and, and sort of like some of the thought patterns that I had as a first time mom that you just realize after five years of being a mom, just like unsustainable. Mm-hmm. And so when I didn't put that pressure on myself the second time around, things were better for that reason too. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Well, so I'll tell you guys my experience, which I, I mean, there's so many similarities. It's amazing between both of your stories. So, um, my husband and I had been married for about three years and I was honestly on the fence about whether I wanted to have children or not at all. 
And um, Manny, my husband was like, of course we're having children. Like, of course. And I was like, but are we? <laughs> do we, do we really want to do that? Like we've got it. We got a, we got a good thing going on here. Like we were traveling a lot. We were, I was still trying to figure out what I was doing with my career. He was moving up in his career. Like we had this little condo that we'd redone and loved and like basically zero responsibility. Right. I mean, we just like went to work and then we had fun. Um, and I was like, I don't know about, um, I don't know about like messing with the situation we've got going. But then I was, you know, in my late twenties and I didn't know if I would have trouble getting pregnant or not, because of course you don't know until you try. And it was, we kind of waffled back. I kind of waffled back and forth. He was pretty steady and he wanted to have children. Um, but ultimately we decided to do it. So it was planned. Same as experience as you, Heather, we were like, okay, let's start trying. And then month one, it was like, oh, okay. And I'm pregnant. <laughs> wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, and within two to three weeks of that pregnancy test turning positive, I was so sick, so sick. I mean, just the vomiting, the just 24 seven nausea, um, exhaustion, just, uh, it was a very difficult pregnancy. I wound up getting a a bad case of plantar fasciitis during that pregnancy, which as a nurse is really hard because you're on your feet all the time. Mm. I also had a symphysial strain, which is like, um, where the, your hip bones kind of separate a little bit too much and they get little too loose. And so the bones actually start like rubbing past one another. It's extremely painful. Um, and the nausea vomiting lasted, I was, it didn't last all the way through my pregnancy, but I think it was about 28 weeks or so where I was just like vomiting constantly. Um, and then after the 28 week mark, I stopped the vomiting, but I still had the 24 seven nausea. So I just felt awful. And I was that person. I was, I've always been a very active person, you know, running all different forms of exercise. Um, and I, I love that. It was a stress management tool for me. And it was just very important for me to always move my body. And I always thought that when I was pregnant, I would be one of those pregnant ladies who was <laughs> playing tennis and running and, yeah. you know, going to the gym and all that stuff. But of course I felt too miserable to do any of that. So, you know, during the pregnancy, it was this combination of dealing with the feeling sick every day, all day. Um, and also an immediate shift of just feeling so out of control and not like myself. Like I just didn't feel like myself at all because I couldn't engage in the things that I love to do and that brought me joy and that helped me manage my emotions and my stress and all that kind of stuff. And at the same time, my husband was working a ton. He worked in public accounting at the time and, you know, they work very long hours. And so he wasn't around a lot. And when he was, I just remember feeling actually quite jealous because here I was going through everything I was going through, feeling so horrible and miserable and awful. And he was just living his life, just out there living his life, mm. working, going out <laughs> with friends, doing the you know things he enjoyed. And I could barely get up off the couch. I mean, I was struggling. I had to go out early um, from work. I couldn't, I couldn't like continue to work. I had lost so much weight and I couldn't even keep down like the Zofran. Like I couldn't even keep at the time they didn't have Zofran. I mean, they had Zofran, but it was very expensive. Zofran, I think at, at some point became like much cheaper, but you, when I was pregnant with Anna, it was, they were giving me different things to try that were not Zofran and I couldn't even keep those down. 
Um, so I just felt very alone. I felt very alone and I felt like it wasn't fair. It wasn't fair that I had to go through this and experience this. And he just had got to like, hum de dum on with his life. Um, and then we wound up having the baby and I very thankfully had a quick, easy labor. It was, a, I could not complain at all about my labor. My labor was beautiful, a beautiful, fast, uh, as painless as labor can be experience. Um, and I thought the same thing, Heather, that you said after you had your second, like, Oh, I'm just so grateful to not be pregnant anymore. And because it was my first, I think I thought everything would just go back, right? Like now I'm not pregnant. I'm not going to feel sick 24 seven anymore. And everything's just going to like, I'm going to feel like myself again. Well, that couldn't have been <laughs> further from the truth. I feel like motherhood is just like a constant, um, realization that what you think is not actually going to happen. Like that's Oh yeah. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> the idea yeah. in your head and the reality do not match. So I thought I would just go back to my usual self plus a baby. Um, but of course that is not at all what happened. My daughter was an extremely challenged sleeper as well. And I also like you, Heather knew that I was the type of person who always needed my sleep. Um, sleep was just essential to my well being. And I've had two major episodes of depression in my life, and both of them were related to sleep. They were both triggered by serious sleep deprivation. Yeah. And this was my first. Because I'd never had sleep deprivation before. I'd always I knew I needed my sleep, but I always like prioritized it and I was a good sleeper and I it just was never a problem. She was up all hours of the night. She was mm. inconsolable. I had to just drive her around in the car most of my life for those first six months of her life, just to try to get her to take a nap or try to get her to sleep in the swing motion was a thing for her. Um, and again, it was very, just like you guys are saying, I felt very isolated and very alone. We lived in this condo that up until then I had really loved when it was just, you know, just, just the two of us, but it was, there were no other moms. There were no other moms. It was like young working people or older retired people. There was no one who had any children. My close friends who did have children lived significant distance from me. Um, so I just felt so isolated and the same thing we were together 24 seven, I was never alone. And yet I felt so alone. And Liz, like what you said, I felt this almost, I would call it compulsion. I don't, I don't like generally think of myself as someone who has OCD, but I felt like this compulsion to do all the right things, right? Like breastfeeding was not easy for me. It was really challenging. And I went through a lot to breastfeed her, but it was like, I needed to breastfeed her. There was like yeah. no one who was going to take me off the path. I don't care how bloody and cracked and three cases of mastitis and pumping and pumping and pumping and pumping and, you know, all the things like I should have just said like enough is enough. Like she's going to be okay if I give her a bottle, but I didn't, I, you know, push through that, um, this compulsion to get her to sleep because not only, and it wasn't about me sleeping. Of course I wanted to sleep. I did, but there was this compulsion inside of me that was like, she needs mm -hmm. to sleep. It's not good for her to not yeah. sleep. She has to sleep. She has to sleep. Um, it, everything about it was very compulsive. 
Um, and I didn't necessarily feel bonded or connected to her. I didn't feel this overwhelming sense of love that there are many mothers who say that they experience. I just felt this compulsion to keep her safe and yeah. take care of her. How but it I was, yeah. that's how, yeah, it was more of a duty than a mm-hmm. coming from love. And yeah, I recognize like, just like, yes. primal, like I gotta do this. I have no yes. choice. Yes. 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 Okay. That's so well said. That's like, and it's the perfect way, the mm-hmm. primal, very primal need to make sure that she was mm-hmm. safe and cared for, but not from a place of of love, really. I mean, I think the love was there. It was just buried really deep underneath a lot mm-hmm. of other emotions that I was experiencing. Um, and I started, you know, really sinking into some deep depression and feeling like I was never going to get myself back. And what had I done? And why does my husband get to just live his life? And here I am suffering through this. I remember um, even at times when I... I remember specifically, actually, Liz and I both work for HUP and um, the Hospital University of Pennsylvania. And sometimes there are, there are gatherings that occur outside of the hospital, like little parties and things like that. And I had gotten my mom to come over and babysit. And I had gone over to one of these parties. And I was sitting in the middle of a room with all these women that I knew for years and were very close Um where I work, like all the nurses are very close together. Like we, we bought, we're like family, you know, we have like a work family situation going on and feeling disassociated with my body. It was like, my body was there, but I was almost like hovering above my body. And I felt completely and utterly alone in the middle of a room of full of people who cared for me. And I had known for years and It was a really scary feeling. It was just scary. Like where, what's happening? What is happening to me? What is happening to me? But at the same time, it, I, like you said, Liz, like I was so in it, like I kind of knew, like, I kind of was like, well, this is really weird. This, this doesn't seem right. But yet I didn't say, oh, I better get help. (laughs) That didn't translate to, oh, maybe I should like see somebody about this. Um, I just just kept going. I just kept like putting one foot in front of the other and like trudging on. And it was impacting my marriage because I was very unhappy. I was very irritable. I was sad. I was, you know, just my husband was like, what is going on? I think in his mind also, like he thought, why isn't she happy? Like she has this, she should be Mm -hmm. happy. She has this baby. Um, and I just felt really alone and depressed and distant Um, And I remember also one instance, she just cried all the time, so much crying. And I just constantly trying to console her and figure out what would make her happy. And at one point I just laid her down in her crib and I was like, I do not know what to do. I was so bone tired and she's crying and I lean over the crib and I'm looking at her in the crib and I start crying. So she's crying, I'm crying. And then she stops crying. To, and she looks at me because I think <laughs> she was like, what, what's happening? Like, what's mom doing? And then I had a moment of, oh, this is fucked up. Like, I am crying over my baby's crib <laughs> and my baby now stops crying to look at me. I'm like, what is going on? I'm like, this is, this is something's not right. <laughs> um, yeah. And that was a definite moment where I, I realized like something's very wrong here. 
And yet I didn't do anything. Like I still didn't go and get help. Um, and eventually I would say, Liz, it also took me about a year to start to feel like myself again, to start to feel any sense of joy or connection to her. Um, going to work for me helped a lot. Mm -hmm. I, at the time, yeah, at the time I worked per diem. So I, um, we were trying to patchwork childcare together. We, we didn't have her in daycare. And so, you know, my parents worked different, they were still working at the time and they worked different shifts. And so I would, you know, my dad would come for a portion then my mom would come and then my husband would get home. And so childcare was not the easiest situation. And so I wasn't working a ton, but I got to a point where I said, I have to work more. I have to work more because for my sanity, I have to work more. Um, and it was, that was really helpful for me to, um, spend more time just being me and not being a mom. Yeah. Um, it was, I had a very similar experience, Katie. And it's funny because I, my husband and I both very clearly remember this conversation where I was probably three minutes, three months in and, and like, thinking about how, like, for most women, this would be the time that they were going back to work. And I still had another three months and I wanted those three months, particularly because, because I was also breastfeeding and I did not as a first time mom want to have to navigate like pumping at work and the whole thing. Like I, I, I was not ready to go back physically or emotionally mm-hmm. <laughs> intellectually. I was dying to go. Back. Yes. <laughs> and I said I to that. my husband, what is wrong with me? Why do I want to go back to work? I should want to stay home with my baby. Mm-hmm. And it, it's interesting. Cause my husband actually was really sweet. He's like, course you want to go back to work your job is awesome your boss is awesome your co-workers are awesome. <laughs> like he was very affirming about it and not like yeah what is wrong with you right <laughs> you <know? laughs> it's, it's, it's true. funny yeah no, no, even no. when you had said Heather like earlier you're like oh and I was looking lucky enough to have six weeks in my head I was like oh my god I wouldn't have survived yeah, it, it was, it was a very, like, yeah. And especially because I knew, like, I was like, I know I'm so lucky. Like, I know yeah. that like, this is something so few people even have the choice. And I like, why don't I, like, why am I not like, this is amazing. Right. Right. And it's like that paradox of motherhood, <laughs> because at once in one stage, like I was like, I need to go back. I need to work more, but I don't know that I could have handled working full-time either. Like I felt like full-time would have right. pushed me over the edge, but not working enough was pushing me over the edge also. Right. And it was trying to yeah. find that, you know, somewhere in the middle. And it's like, you want to be home with your baby. When you're not home with your baby, you're worrying about your baby, wondering if, you know, whoever's taking care yeah. of your baby is doing it in the way that you want it to be done. And if they're safe and if they're okay and feeling guilty that you're not there with them. But when you are there with them, you're like, oh my God, I am so bored out of my mind that I could actually like, mm-hmm. I could actually like stab my eyeballs out right now. I'm so mm-hmm. yeah. bored. I was not prepared for the boredom. It was so boring. <laughs> the days yeah. were so long. I remember feeling like, what do we do now? Like these days are so long. I don't have enough to fill the time. I, I would make up reasons to go to the store. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> To get like yeah. one thing. 
Yeah. <laughs> we would like, we would walk the block and a half to the Whole Foods we lived by. And just like, I would just kind of stand there and hope that some like old lady would say hi to me and we could talk for a couple minutes. Like that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> just, like, yes. I yeah. I, I don't. And, you know, we sort of talked a little bit about sort of not having that immediate bond. And I, I remember like it took a long time for me to enjoy being with her because I was so in my head about all of the things. I just mm-hmm. didn't have that. A lot of that like joy and that fun that I thought I should have with the baby my husband would be home with her like one day when I was like one day a week when I was at work and they would be like giggling and playing and on the floor and doing all these things which is amazing and great just never felt that like for a really long time yeah yeah because you were I mean if you were like me you were tied up in the responsibility of it yeah yeah the weight oh, yeah. of the responsibility, yeah. what had to happen and when, and when she last slept or ate or pooped or, you know, what developmental goal yeah. we should be reaching or making, the, I mean, I was nuts. Totally. I like made all of her baby food, like from scratch, <laughs> I cooked all the fresh no, vegetables it. and blended it down like nuts, nuts. Yeah. Um, and it did, it stripped the joy from it. It stripped the, yeah. you know, and I'm not saying like people can do that and still have the joy the way in which Absolutely. I was yes. doing it was eliminating the joy. Oh yeah. Me as well. I, just like, <laughs> yeah, this, this like preoccupation with doing it right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and I, you know, I remember being on the phone with my mom and I, you know, I'm struggling to get him to sleep. I'm struggling with this and that and the other thing, everything. And my mom was like, well, have you tried doing whatever? And I was like, well, that's not what the book says to do. And my mom <laughs> said, Heather, throw that book out the window. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love that. I want to meet your mom now. That's fantastic. <laughs> but that's where, yeah, that's where I was, you know, and because that strategy had worked for me so well up until that point in my life. Like I just needed to figure it out. Do you know, the checklist, like, absolutely. I get that. Everything and (laughs) everything was going to work out fine. Yes. I get Mm -hmm. that too. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) And it's again, that loss of control, right? Because kids don't, they, they do what they do, right? You can, and I'm with my daughter. I mean, she, Truly, I kid you not, did not sleep through the night until she was five years old. And I did everything the books tell you to do, right? We had a schedule. She had room darkening shades. We had a noise machine. We took the warm bath and read the stories and like all the things. And it did not, I mean, maybe it mattered on some level. Maybe it would have been worse if I hadn't done those things. I don't know. But the point being is that you can do, you can check all the boxes. You can read every book. You can do everything that is quote unquote, right. These kids are going to do what they're going to do. And settling into that realization, that was hard. I want to control. It takes a long time. It takes a long time. But on the other side of that, I say all the time, I love being a second time mom. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because I was just like, whatever. (laughs) 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you like, I mean, yeah. I mean, like I, I would agree. Like the second felt a lot easier. And the third, I think probably would have been easier say for the pandemic. It's sort of almost like you lean into the chaos a little bit easier. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Because there's no, I mean, there was no way I was going to be able to like do what I did with the first one while I had other children. (laughs) Right. Right. And that's the realization after the first one. Yeah. Yeah, You're like, you just act, you uh, like actually can't. And guess what? People have multiple children and they're all okay. And I remember having, when we had our second, which was a little bit of a surprise. Um, cause after my first experience, I mean, I was still trying to get my daughter to sleep when I got pregnant with my son. (laughs) Like I still was like in the phase where I wasn't sleeping through the night. We're talking four years later. Um, and I had, you know, it was just, the pregnancy was awful. The postpartum period was terrible. She still was, I was just like, I don't think I want to do this again. Like, I don't know if I can survive this again. I don't know if my marriage can survive this again, Mm -hmm. because there was a lot of resentment that had built up between me and my husband, um, primarily coming from me towards my husband. (laughs) Um, and then it happened And I also proactively, I did wait until the day of delivery because just like you, Liz, I know all the facts about it's not (laughs) harmful to take these medications in pregnancy, but here comes the compulsions again. And so I, I didn't do it. Um, but day of delivery, I started, um, and I was even waffling. I was a little bit like, should I, maybe it'll be better. Maybe I won't need it. And my husband and my mother were both like, for the love of God, please take the medication. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I did, I, I started on Zoloft a uh, day of delivery. And I remember yeah. like, you know, a month or two after my son was born, my husband being like, you are a completely different person this time yeah. around than yeah. the first time around. And the way that you are interacting with him and just your whole way of being. And I enjoyed it so much more. And trust me, he wasn't a great sleeper either. Um, he didn't sleep till he was almost two. Um, neither, I just was not blessed with good sleepers, but I think the combination of the medication and this being the second time around and like choosing to release control, choosing to say it is what it is. And I'm going to, you know, still set up the structure. I still put him on a schedule and did the room darkening shades and the noise machine and the bath and the books and all the things, um, still like created the environment for a good outcome, but then releasing the outcome to be what it was, um, really just made a huge, you know, huge difference for me. And I think at that time also we had, we had moved. So we were in the house that we're currently in now and it's a, it's a family oriented community. So there's a lot of moms around, a lot of families around. I had joined a mom's club. Um, so I had made friends who had, you know, children that were my children's ages. And so that camaraderie, you know, that community where we could support one another, texting, phone calls, play dates, um, vent to each other about what was going on. I just felt supported. I felt so much more supported than the first so time helpful. around. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Like you go to a play date, your kid's crying, just like hand it off to the next yeah. mom. Like it's like, it feels just, it's just so different. It feels, it feels really nice to be around people who, you know, are sort of like having a shared experience. You know? Yes. For me, that does. was helpful at least. I think that's helpful for everyone. I really can't imagine anyone who that wouldn't be helpful for. And when your kids going through one of the million developmental phases that they go through and you're like, what the heck is going on here? (laughs) And to have another mom be like, oh yeah, 
my kid's doing that too. Or my kid did that last mm-hmm. week or last month or last year. It, I don't know. There's something about that that just lifts the weight, lifts the weight of feeling yeah. like this is just a me experience to this is a we experience. This is the experience of parenthood. For me, it also helped to stop the spiral a little bit, you know, like being able to talk to other parents and moms sort of about like what was going on and sort of almost having that affirmation that like, this is like kind of to be expected and it's normal. Like it let me let go of being like, well, what is it? Is it this? Is it this? Is it like, you know, that kind of thing. Yes, absolutely. I remember like racking my brain, trying to figure out whatever it was I was trying to figure out at the moment and trying, maybe I'll try this. Okay. That didn't work. Maybe I'll try that. Okay. That didn't work. And ultimately I really put in a lot of blood, sweat and tears and I didn't solve anything. And then it just passed on its own. (laughs) Right. Right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So we'll go ahead, Heather, go ahead. Yeah. I, I think what was also really helpful having those like in-person interactions with other moms going through similar things was not just like, oh, my kid did that, or, you know, we tried this, whatever, you know, new food, you know, it was also just being able to see there's more than one way to be a mom. Mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. to see what these other women were doing and 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 instead of like judging them like oh they're doing you know just be like oh wow like yeah they yeah. are inhabiting this identity as a mom in a different way and maybe there are things about that that i could learn from or that i just never even thought about because okay like i had my own mom but mm-hmm. I, I have a brother and he was younger than me. Like I really had no other like model. Yeah. Like, yeah, Yeah. exactly. Model of like, how is this supposed to go? And by the way, you know, the way our moms did things (laughs) was a completely different time. Yes. 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 Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And I, I mean, to speak to your point, Heather, like I still do that today, that, that, and my kids are 15 and 10. Like that's not something that is exclusive. I think to those young years of parenthood, I am constantly looking to other mothers and listening and watching without judgment, just with observation of how they do things and taking some stuff away, taking some stuff about how I've been doing things and maybe deciding that I'm once again, being too intense. Like I find myself being too intense. Like I lo- I watch those moms who are those super laid back moms. And I'm like, Oh man, if I could just, I know. Mom. Right. right? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I can't, because that's my entire I'm. nature. Yes, but, yes. <laughs> but I admire it. <laughs> but I can take, I can take pieces of it. Right. Or I yeah. can, I can take a little of the pressure off the gas. You know, I can, t- I can pull back a little bit knowing that I, you're doing it that way and your kids are fantastic, right? Yeah, exactly. Like I genuinely think your kids are awesome. You know, they seem to be thriving and you are doing things way different than me. And somehow our kids are all doing just fine. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And to like, also at the same time, like we might be so different in the way that we mother, but this is also what I found through. I just... 
obviously that's one of the reasons I started this podcast. I love having just really open raw conversations about these things where people don't feel like they have to put on airs and they can just be super honest. And I do that in my everyday life as well. And, you know, we can, I can be in a conversation with a mom who is parenting in such a different way than me. And we can be having that like honest conversation. And yet I find, although we are parenting very differently and on the outside, it looks like a very different experience. A lot of what we're experiencing on the inside is the same. A lot of the like struggles that we're facing or doubts or fears or, um, feelings of like inferiority, like a lot of it's the same. A lot of it translates no matter what type of mom you are. Yeah, that's very true. Mm -hmm. And that's helpful too. It's just always helpful to feel like you're not alone in your experience. Yeah. Um, so now that your kiddos are getting a little bit older, like what is your experience of motherhood now? So the transition to full on teenager, yeah. and I have a boy, you know, and like everyone talks about the girls, like boys have their own challenges for sure. Um, and then, you know, it's always, I'll, and I have a now a middle schooler who just started middle school and, mm-hmm. you know, I, for them, as much as for us as parents, like covid it's like I didn't even have a middle schooler the first time around because mm. it was home. <laughs> yeah. And and it did. It lasted like a good two and a half years. Well, guess what? He was just starting, you know, he just started seventh grade. So mm-hmm. um that's been an interesting. I I feel like as a parent, there was there's like a gap in my parenting experience <laughs> that yeah. you're now getting for the first time with the younger one. And that's that's a weird one. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like having a teenager was a lot like back to square one in a lot of ways. Um, certainly, you know, I, lots of people have drawn parallels. Like you've heard of like three major when your child's three. Well, that's mm. because, yeah, you know, like mm. there, there's like unexplained moods, there's tantrums, there's, and it's, it's in a teenager way. It's not exactly like a toddler, but you know, there, there is a little bit of like, you don't know what kind of mood you're going to encounter with your kid on any day. And <laughs> a day, Heather. Yeah. yeah hour, a minute, yeah. hour. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but the interesting thing about it, and that, you know, this really kind of goes back to this, like this, I would say, and sometimes for myself obsession with control, like when he was a toddler, I knew his entire world. Right. So I could at least in theory, try to narrow down what it was that was bothering him. And now the world is huge and he has a cell phone. And for all I know, his friend said something to him over text and he's never going to tell me. Yeah. (laughs) And so in a way, it it, strangely for me, it's like freeing. Like I, I cannot possibly know all of the data that I would need. So I just have to love him and support him and know that I know my kid. I may not know the particular situation. He may not want to tell me but he is still mine and I know him and I can learn and grow with him as he learns and grows. Mm -hmm. 
That's that's fantastic. That's fantastic. And and I know Heather, you and I have had conversations because we again are children of similar age where we try to get information from them sometimes, and yeah. we're always like, okay, so I, I don't want to judge, and I don't want to assume, and I want to like ask the question, but phrase it in the right way. Like there's this, this kind of, you're just not even sure. Like, I feel like up until teenage, the teenage years, or maybe even like starting in the middle school years, but really those teenage years, you do know your kid and you know them so well that you kind of, I felt like always knew how to approach them, or you could figure out what was wrong with them, or you could figure out how you need to phrase things to make them feel better. And in those teenage years, I feel like that's so different. Like I, I, although I do still know her so well, I feel more unsure, like on how to approach things sometimes, if that makes sense, like how to start the conversation or what question to ask, or if I should even ask the question, or if I I should just wait for her to come to me, or I don't know. I just don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I feel very self-conscious around him quite often. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And I was not expecting that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You're like, I know something's wrong, but if I ask you about it, you, it might just cause you to shut down. But if I don't ask you about it, is it going to um, make, like, if I ask you about it, maybe it'll prompt you to open up or maybe it'll prompt you to shut down. And I don't know what the answer to that, that question is. <laughs> yes. Liz, this is what you have to look forward to. Um, Listening to you, is this like helpful? Like we are like just dipping our toe in the water of, of it. You know what I yes. mean? Yes. So, so like at this point, so my, my oldest is 10 and things are changing. And it's just like last six months, she's become so much more self-aware of like the world, right? Like mm-hmm. and people's interactions with each other and relationships. And it's, it's interesting watching her going through all of this and it's causing her some anxiety. It's just like, I mean, just yeah. like, like mother, like daughter, right? Yes. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, it's been, it's been like a different, it's like, I have to like s- switch my parenting, right? Like now I have to sort of, like you guys said, like kind of approach it differently. I find myself sort of like starting to just go blah, blah, blah. And then I like stop, I leave, I try to come back, something different. Like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing yet. <laughs> yeah. I probably never will, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's starting to change. And then I yeah. still have old who's like again like you said with your seventh grader with COVID like she did not like leave the house for like I'm exaggerating but for like two years she's crazy and she's like up my butt like 24 and I'm like I can't so like we have sort of the two ends of yeah. Yeah. You have that widespread there. Yeah. You have the l- real little one and then you have that one who's just like probably like just coming into the, you know, the preteen years and it starts, it does start like by sixth grade, it's full on hot mess situation. (laughs) (laughs) Middle school. I mean, I hated middle school. I don't know how you all felt about middle school. I've really never met anyone who liked middle school. Um, and it was really rough for my daughter. And I just feel like it's just a really challenging time. Um, and you're like right on the, on the verge of that. So you're not alone. 
I'll it's come so find funny, you. Lizzie, I heard you say like, you know, I just, you know, with the first one, this feeling of like, you don't know what you're doing. It doesn't ever go away. Like yeah. I, I have now said to my teenager, like, I'm sorry, I've never done this before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying my best here. Okay. And the, the, like, I remember when they were younger and this is something I think that shifts over time too. Like I was all in, not that I'm not all in now, of course, you know, we're, we're always all in as a, as a mother, or as a parent, but they needed you so much. Right. I mean, there's that, like the amount of care, you know, it's just constant care. Um, and they needed you to do everything to help them with eating and bathing and dressing and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then they enter the school years and you get a little bit more, um, freedom, right. Because they're out of the house for school, but they still need you a ton and you're still helping them a ton. And then, and so you're just, I don't know. I feel like as a mom, I was just like totally wrapped up in the experience of motherhood. And, um, I didn't really have a lot of me outside of that. Right. It was like pretty much my whole world was being a mom and of course going to work and like, you know, that kind of stuff, but I wasn't exploring the edges of me anymore. I was just being a mom. And then as they got a little bit older and a little more independent, I started feeling like, well, who am I now? Like, because I'm not the me I was before I had them. And then I just kind of forgot about me. And now who is this me that I am now? And then that started a whole other journey. Does that resonate with either one of you? Yeah, of course, Katie. I mean, you and I graduated high school the same year and we had kids around the same time. And so, yeah, I mean, I think you do get to that stage in motherhood. And and I think coincidentally for the two of us, that, that sort of question of that exploration of who am I led us both to yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for me, you know, the pandemic intervened in a way that then all of a sudden we decided my husband and I, that the best choice was for me to stop working. Mm-hmm. Um, so then it even more, you know, I, I leaned really heavily on the yoga because there was so long of a period where like I identified as a lawyer, you know, mom, lawyer, like that, that Heather was mom and lawyer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and then to have more of a separation uh, between like, yeah, of course I'm still a lawyer. I still have a law degree. I can go practice law if I wanted to. Um, and, and then what you're saying about like, yes, I'm still, a mom, but I'm home and my kids are at school. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, you know, lots of that time is spent with laundry and dishes and making doctor's appointments and filling prescriptions and all all of the stuff that I would do, you know, even if I was working um, just at different times. Um, There's been a lot more space for me to have to like really sit with that question of, you know, who, who is Heather? Because mm-hmm. I'm still here. <laughs> yeah. I am still me, even though my children are not here and I'm not working. Yeah. Yeah. And who is that? And like, what do you even want? And what do you like? And what, 
lights you on fire, you know, like those, those questions that I think for a long time, I just didn't even think about. I didn't have time. There was like, there was no time to, you know, I, at my experience has been those big questions, the answers come in pieces and they come at least for me in quiet and stillness. And there was very little of that in my life for a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I'm, I'm not there yet. I feel like things are still just like too much in motion right now. And like Mm -hmm. a little one is only like out of the house, like three mornings a week and Mm -hmm. I work. So, um, but I do feel like I, I find that like kind of bubbling under the surface of like, what am I going to do? What am I, you know, what do I want to do next? You know, Yeah, definitely. And I, I mean, I remember when my kids were your age, Liz, and you can tell me if this resonates with you at all, but I was super busy and they were still very, you know, needy of my time and attention. And it was hard to have the time or the stillness to think about anything other than what I needed to get done and taking care of them. But yet I felt the, under it all, I felt the tugging of dissatisfaction. Mm -hmm. Does that resonate? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like for me, it, it felt like there must be more than this. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what that more is. I, I can't even articulate the question. Just this constant feeling of this is not all of it. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. if this is all of it, it's not great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I remember having moments where I was like, um, this is it. Like, um, I could just peace out. Like this is, this is not, you know, this is another what 60 years of this. Like, mm, yeah. Uh, yeah. And also feeling, I mean, I've, I've had a lot to me, motherhood has been, um, various phases and stages of guilt and feeling guilty. Like I have these two beautiful children. They are healthy. We have a home we have, you know, like we have the life that people strive to have. And yet I am actually deeply unhappy in this life because I have not placed any time or attention on me and what my needs are. Cause I've placed all of that on, on to taking care of my children and my house and my husband and my job and my, all the things. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's something that maybe we don't express enough that that's a normal feeling for people to have. And, it, and some of it is circumstance based, but some of it isn't right. Because, you know, Katie, my son is just a year older than Anna, but the difference between sophomore year and junior year is like the difference between being almost towards college and still in high school in my mind, right? Like Mm -hmm. all of a sudden it's SATs, it's, you know, college visits and, and driving, right? Yeah. And this, I like all of a sudden this very nebulous, vague idea that my child will someday not live in my house (laughs) is starting to crystallize in a way that feels very scary because Mm -hmm. as much as like I craved my own time and I wanted to be away from him now when he's like going to actually go, (laughs) 
I'm, I'm having a hard time with that. Yeah. Yeah. And I can see that already. I can see that as, you know, Anna's in her sophomore year now. And, and I'm like, holy crap, like that expression, the days are long, but the years are short is so true. And for years I would have said, that's a bunch of bull. The days are long. The years are long. It's all freaking long, you know? And then it's like, you just get over this little hump. And all of a sudden, to me, it reminds me of like a roller coaster. It's like, you're going up, 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 up. And it's just slow and steady and it feels long. And then all of a sudden you go over this little hump and then it's just, boom, you're like down the other side of the ride. And the, you know, it's just, you're just barreling down the other side. And I, I feel like that's, that's where we are. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he feels that way too sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and then I have my little one who is, you know, only in fourth grade. And, you know, so we're still in that beautiful um, grade school era where they're still like sweet and innocent and loving. I love the grade school years personally. I think we all have our like years of parenting that we like prefer. Like I did not like the baby stage. I did not like the toddler stage, really like the grade school years. Middle school was terrible. Um, high school has been pretty good. Um, but yeah, he's still, so there are such developmentally different stages. And like you said, Liz, it's like this flipping back and forth between different ways of parenting, because you have these kids who are in such different stages and being able to look at your three-year-old and your 10-year-old and know that in a blink of an eye, your three-year-old is going to be your 10-year-old. I know. Yeah. And that push pull, like kind of can't wait for my three-year-old to be 10, but kind of be really sad when my three-year-old's 10. I know. <laughs> I feel like I've spent the last year being like, oh, I can't wait till she's like just in school and I have some time. And like the sudden, like I drop her off and I'm like, oh, like I'm good now. But like in my head, I'm already like, oh my God. And then next year she's going to be five days a week in school. Like, you know, I'm already like, Fast yeah. tracking. I don't know. Yeah. So the question is, do men experience any of this? Because I can tell you my husband does not. <laughs> I I don't think my husband does either. <laughs> Heather, you're may yeah. say differently, but I I I don't think so. Yeah. It's interesting. I the when the kids were younger, definitely no. Um mm. as our as our oldest son has gotten older and, and like all of a sudden he doesn't really want to hang around with either one of us. <laughs> um, and, and I, so I think my husband has sort of missed, you know, the, the grade school years when, you know, your dad is awesome and, you know, can run faster than you and can do all these cool things. And, and, and now, we're getting older and our son is getting older, but you know, he's older and stronger and we're like older and decrepit. <laughs> and and it's interesting for the guys in particular, you know, and that my son and my husband, like that, like the physical differences, like my, my son being able to run faster than my husband, like those really have like a much like more real impact Mm -hmm. on my husband and some of the other more like subtle relational kinds of things. Okay. That makes sense. I never thought about it, but I can absolutely see that. Yeah. 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 That does. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in our house, it's a little different because I have, my oldest is my daughter and, um, 
it's just really rough on him. The, all the, <laughs> all the, you know, physical changes that happen and just all of it, her going out with friends and him being fearful of, you know, who knows what, you know, experiences that she may have. And, um, I think it's a, it's a different interaction, you know, man to man versus man to girl. Um, but still, I think, yes, I think when they were young, he was a little more tapped out. He, you know, he did what he needed to do and all that, but he was working a ton. I honestly, the pandemic, one of the blessings of the pandemic for us was that he started working from home because he became a much more present father um, than before the pandemic, because he was just out of the house. He would leave early in the morning. He would come home late at night when he was in public accounting. There were months out of the year where he worked six days of the week. Um, And so it was like, it was, I always called the mom show. I'm like, it's the mom show. Like it's always mom, 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 24 seven mom (laughs) Um, with a few patchwork, you know, babysitters in there. Um, But since he started working from home, he has really integrated more into the fabric of our everyday lives. And I think it's been really amazing for him as a father um, to be more involved in that way and for the kids to have that everyday contact with him. And he just, I think it's been really good for everybody involved. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anything else? I don't want to keep you guys too long. Let's see. It is. Yeah. We're getting late now. Do you see anything else you guys want to share before we get off? No. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for your honesty. Um, it's always my intention that someone hears an episode and feels less alone. So I think by being really honest, we have the uh, ability to do that for someone. So I really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Katie. Yeah. And have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care. You I hope you enjoyed that show. I hope that you laughed along with us recognizing the common experiences of motherhood. For this week's mindful moment, I was thinking about um, something that came up over and over during our conversation in different ways. And that was this concept of wanting control and not having it, the unpredictability um, of motherhood. And in fact, it's really funny that I happen to be doing this show today because a friend of mine sent a video along, I think it was on um, Instagram, she sent the link and it said like, the flow of motherhood is I think the title and the video shows a bunch of women in like class four rapids trying to paddle their way down this river and getting flung all around in different directions and flying out of the boat. And, um, it was a group text. She sent it to a bunch of us and everybody was just laughing because it was such a visual depiction of what it feels like to be a mom and not have any control, even though you really are desperately, desperately grasping for it. And then that reminded me of, um, of course my yoga teachings, because that's, (laughs) that's my, you know, famous expression. Everything comes back to yoga. Um, and I say that because I so often in life find myself having a thought or a feeling or realizing something and then realizing that there's a yogic teaching related to this particular thing that I'm thinking about. Um, and we do talk in yoga a lot about surrender, you know, surrendering to the moment 
And I think that's a a really hard, probably, I mean, maybe one of the hardest lessons of motherhood is learning how to surrender to the moment exactly as it is, as if you chose it. So what does surrender really mean? When I was first learning about the concepts of surrender, to me, it seemed like a failure, like a giving up, like a throwing your hands in the air and saying, I, there's nothing I can do about this. But when I got deeper into the understanding of surrender, it really means to let go, to yield to the experience, to become a witness and to be in flow with what is. And I think it's such a beautiful concept now and something that I try very hard to to utilize in my life. It's probably one of the hardest things to do personally for myself. Um, I'm trying to even surrender with the creation of this podcast. I'm trying to grow the podcast and um, help more people by getting more listeners and getting more information out there. But starting something like this from scratch, it takes time and I have to surrender to what is. And what I found over and over in my life is that the more I surrender and allow what is instead of being frustrated by what is not, the easier things start to unfold and the more things work out in the way that they were always meant to work out. Um, it just becomes it just becomes easier. Life becomes easier. You're, I'm more in the flow um, instead of trying to swim against the current, I'm swimming with the current. Um, that's one of the best explanations that I can give. So I invite you this week to think about areas of your life where you are swimming against the current, where you are trying to force things to be a certain way because you want control over them instead of allowing them to be what they are. And then thinking about how you could possibly soften just a little bit in one of those areas and what would change in your life if you did. So give it a thought. I will go into much more detail as usual in my newsletter about this um, and also some other topics in the show. I'll go into more detail in my newsletter. So be on the lookout for that and have a wonderful rest of your day and weekend. Talk to you soon. Bye. Hi, everyone. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our other episodes, I ask that you please like the show, follow, subscribe, or share. The way that podcasts work is the more people that do one of those things, the more likely it is that when someone's looking for a podcast to listen to, our show will pop up for them. I started this podcast because I really see there's a great need in our world for people to feel more peace, joy, love, and acceptance in their lives. And I think we can do that when we have a greater sense of self-awareness. We could become conscious creators of our own lives. 
And I'm seeking to do that for as many people as possible. So if you could help me by liking, sharing, or subscribing to the show, I'd really appreciate it. And hopefully someone hears a conversation that changes their life. Thank you again, and I'll see you next time. Much love.